It is great to be in uh, this place with you. This has been an incredible week at Gospel City Church. I hope you were here on Monday night. How many of you were here on Monday night for our congregational meeting? And you heard some exciting news about how healthy this church is financially, spiritually, some great things going on. Some of you got a new adventure this morning. You made the trek from the parking lot to the west up the hill. We just wanted to give you the experience of the uh, sojourners ascending the hill to come and worship at the temple in Jerusalem. That's why we did that. And uh, also this parking lot out here is being used for construction now because we're getting ready to put an 1100 seat auditorium on that side of that wall. And so we're excited about that. Uh, You'll hear, hear more about how you can participate in the campaign around all of that. We also introduced to you that we have added a pastoral staff member to our staff. His name is Stephen Love. He is the church planter in residence and we're going to launch him out of here in about 12 months to plant a church in the heart of South Bend. So we are excited about that. Thank you for all that you do to make the ministry happen, including giving an offering, including parking in a parking lot that's a little bit further away. And uh, we're just excited. Nobody comes to Gospel City Church for the amenities of the parking lot. Does everybody understand that, right? Uh, We thought about offering valet parking lot. We thought that would make you just look lame if you were to come to a church for the valet parking. So we're not going to do that. But uh, thank you for all that you do. Hopefully the ugliness in the parking lot is overcome by the beauty of Christ in the worship center. That's what we're going for. And so let me invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9 as we continue to march verse by verse through this gospel of Luke. And I want to give you a warning up front. The message that I'm about to preach to you is one that no preacher in his right mind would preach if his goal was to increase the attendance in his church. If I do my job right, you do your job right, I am running the risk that we will have less people in church next week than we do this week. During the Second Great Awakening in American history, there was a preacher named Peter Cartwright. He was a circuit preacher. He was an itinerant revivalist. He would go into a church. He was known for being very bold and unapologetic in his preaching. One day, President Andrew Jackson found his way into a church where Peter Cartwright was about to preach. The elders of the church went to Peter and said, Peter, the president is here. Do not say anything offensive. He approached the pulpit, and the first words out of his mouth was this. I understand that President Andrew Jackson is here. Somebody asked me to guard my comments. Well, Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. After the service, the president approached Peter Cartwright and made this statement. He said, sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. I am going to run the risk of telling you, if you do not follow Christ and repent of your sins, you will spend an eternity in hell. Our church has never determined its health based on the number of people we could cram in a room. The health of our church is determined by the number of people who are following Christ. The purpose of our church is to glorify God by making Christ 
followers. We call them disciples. As we walk through the Gospel of Luke, we're introduced to these 12 disciples that are literally following in the footsteps of Jesus. As Jesus was roaming around ancient Israel, he was going from village to village, and a couple of weeks ago we saw that he set his face on Jerusalem, which means he is beginning a journey from the northern part of Israel to the southern part of Israel, and what he is going to face in Jerusalem is a cross. And he is inviting disciples to follow him to the cross. Now, Jesus went to the cross, he was resurrected, he was raised, and he ascended to to the right hand of God the Father, where he sits this morning. But today, he is still calling people to follow him. This is a gathering of the followers of Jesus Christ. We spent our week getting bloodied and beat up out there in the world because the world is not following Christ, and so we are headed in the opposite direction. We face opposition. We assemble together here this morning to be reminded of who Christ is, who he's called me to be, and then to appropriately put faith in him and to repent of sin so that I can head back out here into the world and continue to follow him on the journey toward the cross and ultimately to heaven. The purpose of the church is not to make Christ look more appealing. The purpose of the church is not to remove obstacles and barriers so you can get a greater number of people to follow Christ. As a matter of fact, some of the biggest churches in the world are big because they are neglecting to tell people the cost of following Christ. This morning, we're going to learn about the cost of following Christ. The purpose of the church is to present Jesus as so supremely valuable that you would pay any price to follow him. That's the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church And the purpose of this message is to invite you to follow Christ. I'm going to lay the cards on the table here this morning at the beginning of the message. At the conclusion of this message, I am going to invite you to follow Christ. Now, some of you would say, I am a follower of Christ. I've been following him for years. I became a follower of Christ as a 15-year-old teenager. I realized I'd been following myself, my own appetites, life's not going great, no fulfillment, no purpose. I was confronted with the message of Christ. I turned from that and I began to follow Christ at the age of 15. But you know what? I got up this morning... And I heard the Holy Spirit inviting me to follow Christ. And he's doing the same thing for every follower of Christ here this morning. But there are some others of you that have never fully and finally made the decision to become a follower of Christ. And today I'm going to invite you to make that decision. Make that choice. Are you a follower of Christ? I'm going to literally ask you to leave the seat where you are. 
and to put the right leg in front of the left leg and the left leg in front of the right leg and make your way into one of these aisles to come to a pastor or an elder, an elder's wife, and to say, today I'm becoming a follower of Christ. We'll schedule your baptism, which is coming up in two weeks. And that's the way that we go public as a follower of Christ. And some of you have been contemplating that. Some of you have kind of taken some steps toward Christ, but you You've learned about him and maybe he's not the person you thought he was and he seems appealing, but you haven't yet fully and finally turned your back on whatever else you were following and made the decision to become a follower of Christ. And some of you don't understand the purpose of every service. The purpose of this message is to attempt to convince you that what you are following is deadly. And the only life that you can have that is eternal and fulfilling is one of following Christ. The purpose of every message is to warn you that ignoring the invitation to come to Christ is actually far more costly than actually surrendering to follow Him. So we're going to meet three would-be disciples of Christ, three would-be followers of Christ, and we're going to discover why they actually could not follow Christ. So if you have a Bible, we're going to look in Luke chapter 9. Let's begin in verse 57. As they were going along the road, see we have traveling, Jesus is traveling, he's going to Jerusalem. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow now that's a great day when somebody says they will follow Jesus. There is nothing I would rather hear on a Sunday than to somebody come walk down that aisle and say, I will follow Jesus. But notice it gets even better. I will follow you wherever you go. Now as a pastor, I can think of some really great places I could put some followers of Christ. Over here in the children's ministry, there's places to hold babies. And there's, there's over here in children's ministries where to, to teach children the Bible. And in youth ministry, to, to be a mentor, transformation ministry, you could go downtown and become a mentor. I mean, we could send you to Liberia. We could send you to, to, uh, to Hungary to be a church planter. Somebody that says, I will follow you wherever you go. I'm like, sign that person up for the parking lot ministry for crying out loud. They'll go into the parking lot. And this is a great day, you would think. But then notice how Jesus responds. Verse 58, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, is a title Jesus used for himself, has nowhere to lay his head. We're going to meet these three would-be disciples, these three would-be followers of Christ. I've given each of them a label, a name. The first one I'm going to call the enthusiast. You know what an enthusiast is, right? An enthusiast is, is a guy that's got a hobby. Some of you are fishing enthusiasts. Some of you are European soccer enthusiasts. I don't understand you. But you are somehow, you, you, you are into that thing, kind of thing. An enthusiast is somebody that kind of tacks on something to his life. If he's got a little extra time, if he's got a little extra money, he'll spend it doing that. But he's not going to be like sold out to that. It's not the center of his life. And some people treat Jesus like that. Some people treat Jesus like he's a hobby. Some people treat 
church like it's an add-on. If I got extra time and extra money, then it can go there. But it's not the center. And the guy that we just met is an enthusiast. Jesus identifies something in his life that prevents him from actually becoming a follower of Christ, even though he volunteered for the assignment. This guy has an idealistic view of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I mean, he's probably noticed the power that Jesus has. He's got power to heal. Well, sometimes I get sick. It would be great to have a relationship with a guy who has power to heal. Um, he seems to have a lot to say about wealth and finances. I've noticed, maybe some of you have noticed, like some, these, I know some followers of Jesus and they seem to be doing quite well financially. Maybe if I become an enthusiast of Jesus, I will do better financially. Um, maybe he thought, um, he needed a leadership consultant. Jesus had a lot to say about leadership and a lot to say about fellowship too. Maybe he thought he needed a life coach and he could give him some advice. And what he wanted was an idealistic understanding of Jesus. He didn't understand the cost of discipleship. He was impulsive. Maybe he had an emotional response to something Jesus said or a story that was told. And maybe he cried a few tears and says, I want to do that. But did not know the cost of his decision. The enthusiast must surrender his expectations of a comfortable life. Jesus says foxes have holes. That's a place of security and safety and comfort for a fox. Birds have nests. That's a place of security, safety, and comfort for a bird. And Jesus said, if you're coming to me and thinking you're going to get safety, security, and comfort, you have an idealistic understanding of what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to follow Christ? Good question. We can't literally physically walk in the footsteps of Jesus because Jesus' feet are in heaven, kicked up on a throne, running the universe perfectly, by the way. And so how do you follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means this. First of all, I've heard and responded to the call of Christ to follow him. You know, there's something missing from this first guy. He volunteered to follow. Jesus didn't initiate the conversation. I'm asking you, has Jesus initiated a conversation personally with you where under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you have heard the call of Jesus Follow me. I'm not talking about an audible voice. It is a Holy Spirit call. It's a spiritual call to respond in faith and repentance to follow Christ. Have you heard that? You say, yes, I have. When have you heard that? There is a decisive moment when Jesus calls in a way that you cannot ignore or deny and you respond in faith. That is the moment of conversion. We call it being born again. We call it being justified in that act of conversion, faith and repentance in response to the call of Jesus. Have you heard it? I've prayed all morning that you would hear Jesus calling you, follow me, follow me, follow me. 
whether it's the first time or whether it's every day, have you heard the voice of Jesus calling you to follow him? Secondly, you would say, I have joyfully detached myself from others I was following. Everybody's following somebody or something. It may be a, a philosophy of life. It may be a religious system. It may be a, a moral code. It may be following a desire or a passion to achieve greatness or riches. And the call to follow Jesus is to turn your back on the things that you were following and follow Christ. Have you detached yourself from others that you're following? Are you a follower of Christ? It would say, it would mean you would say, I am a, I am courageously taking new steps daily in the direction of Christ. That means that he steers where I go. He determines where my money goes. He determines what gets on my calendar. He determines the things that I invest my time and my finances in. To be a follower of Christ means that you can say, I am close enough to hear and be directed by his words. I got a big family when my family were, when my children were little, we'd pile out of the minivan and we would start the journey wherever we were going, whether it was to the mall or to the amusement park or, or whatever. And sometimes I would get to where we were going, I would turn around and I'd lost a child. And I'm like, okay, there was a child that wasn't following close enough to actually hear my voice and be directed. My question to you is, does your life give evidence that it's being directed by Jesus? If not, you should determine whether or not you've actually become a follower of Christ at all. If you've gotten off the path, it's time to come back and follow in the steps of Jesus. To be a follower of Christ means that you can say, I have counted the cost of following Christ and found it to be worth it. Followers of Christ know following Christ is hard, but it's not near as hard as not following Christ. It's worth it. Are you a follower of Christ? Or are you just an enthusiast? You just kind of like the excitement, it's cool music and there's fun people and the, these people are nicer than the people out there in the world. I just kind of want to be a part, kind of on the fringes, on the side. Listen, Christ is following you, is calling you to become a follower of his, not just an enthusiast. Secondly, there's a guy in the story that we'll call the analyst. The story picks up here in verse 59. To another, he said, follow me. So Jesus takes the initiative this time. Here's the invitation. Follow me. And I hope you're hearing Jesus call you right now with those same words. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And so one guy hears his voice, but he said, Lord, I don't know what his understanding of the word Lord is, but it's not Jesus's understanding of the word Lord, because the next words were let me first. Do you understand that somebody that calls Jesus Lord has given up the right ever to say again these words? Me first. This guy says, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, 
go and proclaim the kingdom of God. We call this guy the analyst because he is calculating. He is loyal to his family. He's loyal to his father. How many of you would think that that would be a, a good quality to have, to be loyal to your father? All the fathers in the room should have their hands in the air right now. My children should be loyal to me. They should take care of me, and when I am dead, they should bury me, right? That's what you want from a good son. A good son is loyal to his father. So we would look at this and like, well, what's the problem here? I will never forget February the 19th, 2007. I was with my family in Charlotte, North Carolina. Our family had gone there to lead a life action revival conference at a local church. It was the second day of that conference. It was a Monday morning. I got a call from my mother in Lawton, Oklahoma, and she simply said to me, your father is dead. 66 years old, he went to bed one night, he didn't wake up the next day. You say, that's so sad. It was incredibly sad, but he's having a great day today. He knew the Lord, he's in heaven, he's cheering us on, and he wants you to become a follower so you can meet him one day. It was a bad day. We packed up the trailer that we lived in. I had to leave the ministry opportunity we had in that church, and we traveled 26 hours straight to get to Lawton, Oklahoma, where a couple of days after that, I buried my father. I preached the funeral. I think I did the right thing. I think in doing that, I was following Jesus, being a good son. I think it was right for me to bury my father. So why did Jesus say to this guy, leave the dead to bury the dead? You know why it was the right thing for me to go bury my father? Because my father was actually dead. This guy's father wasn't dead yet. What this guy is saying is, I, Jesus, excuse me, I would like to be a follower of you, but I need to wait because my father's not a fan of yours. He wouldn't approve of me following you, but when he's dead and I get him in the ground, then all of the conditions are right for me to follow you because then I will not be opposed to in, by my father in following you. And not only that, when dad dies, I'm getting a big inheritance. I'll be more financially secure and set up, and then the conditions will be perfect for me to follow you. That's what the analyst says. He calculates and he's looking for perfect conditions. He's, he's a procrastinator. Listen, the timing will never be right for you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. The conditions will never get better. There will not be a more convenient opportunity to, for you to become a follower of Christ. By the way, and you'll never find the perfect church. You know, like when I find the perfect church with a paved parking lot and valet service, that's the one. And then I will follow Christ. Yeah, that's not coming anytime soon. So the question is, do you, when are you going to follow Christ? 
When are you going to stop offering excuses for when the conditions would be more perfect for you to become a follower of Christ? The cost is always going to seem too high. The time is never going to seem like it's right. And the longer you delay, the harder it will get to make the choice. This guy was focused on the wrong funeral. Before you can become a follower of Christ, you have to have your own funeral. You have to choose to die to your old way of living, your old ambitions, and be willing for Jesus to give you new life. That's why Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Your father's spiritually dead. The people you're attached to are spiritually dead. It's time for you to have spiritual life. This guy was loyal to his father, but maybe he'd never stopped long enough to ask if what his father actually believed was true. Some of you are loyal to your father. You should be loyal to your father. You should be loyal to your family. But some of you were raised in a faith tradition or no faith at all, and you've never stopped long enough to ask, is this right? Is this true? Is this the path that God created me for? Is this the path that leads to a relationship with God? Or was it just a bunch of religious ceremony? Was it just a bunch of religious rule keeping? Do you have a personal relationship with Christ? One in which you've heard his voice and you've responded, I will follow you. In the fifth century, there was a famous philosopher named Augustine. He was brilliant. He was living with his girlfriend, though they weren't married. And one day he went to hear a preacher who preached on the holiness of God and the importance of following the Ten Commandments, one of which says, you shall not commit adultery. He was conflicted in his heart. He was convicted by the spirit that his relationship with his girlfriend was wrong. It was immoral. It was breaking God's heart and breaking God's law. And in response to that message, he prayed a prayer that has been passed down through the centuries. We know what he prayed because what he prayed has been prayed by millions of people, including some of the people in this room. Here's what he prayed. Oh, Lord, make me good, but not yet. I'm convicted. I know this is right. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but it's fun. And I'm not ready to give it up. And some of you would say, I know this is right. I like being here. The Lord has spoken. I've heard his voice, but I'm not yet a follower of Christ. Some of you would say, I'm having too much fun in high school. I've got career ambitions. I'm in college. I want to wait till I get all the other things set up. Maybe meet that perfect soulmate that I've been waiting for. And, and then when, when we look like the aged photos then, then I will become a follower of Christ because by that time, there's nothing left I'll be able to do. You're an analyst. You're a procrastinator. And you are being called by Christ to follow him. There's one other guy in the story. Verse 61. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. 
But let me first, there's those words again, me first. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So this guy wants to go home and say goodbye to his family and friends. Does that seem like that's a problem? I mean, shouldn't you be hospitable? And if you're leaving town, you should probably say goodbye to your friends. It seems like a reasonable thing. But Jesus detects something below the surface in his heart that he didn't just want to say goodbye. He wanted to say, is it okay? Are you guys okay with this? I met this guy named Jesus. He seems like a really great guy, but I want to make sure that you approve. And if you approve, then I'll say goodbye. But if you don't approve, I may stay around. I may, I, I'm, I may stay here to get your approval instead of Jesus' approval. This is the guy that we call the diplomat. A diplomat must surrender his right to relational approval. There will come a time in your life when you cannot have the approval of your friends and family simultaneous with having the approval of Jesus. It's in that moment that you are exposed as who you follow. And the diplomat can't follow Jesus because he is so distracted following his friends and his family. This guy's relationally connected. He's a connector. He's a networker. He has deep relationship. He loves people and he loves for people to love him. He's a conflict avoider. He needs approval, attention, and acceptance. And therefore, he is very distracted from the priority of following Jesus because he's constantly looking for approval from everybody else. Jesus says, you don't put your hand to a plow and plow straight rows if you're always looking back. That illustration has no meaning for any of you because none of you have ever put your hand to a plow and tried to plow a field with a hand plow. Let me update the illustration. Nobody puts his hand on the steering wheel and tries to drive the car and stay in the right lane while you're looking over the shoulder at your kids in the back seat. You're a distracted driver and you're dangerous. Don't do that. And Jesus says, nobody's fit to drive in the kingdom if you're constantly staring into ditches. You can't do it that way. You've got to have a single focused attention to Jesus. And he mentions the kingdom. Jesus wants us to understand following Christ means you stop fighting for your kingdom. You surrender your kingdom to his kingdom and you follow him, not just as your friend, but as your king. He commands you and our response in following is to obey him. On March the 10th, 1974, 30 years after the end of World War II, the last Japanese soldier surrendered to the Allied troops. Hairu 
Onada, had been sent to a tropical island in the Philippines with orders to conduct covert operations, defend his territory, and under no circumstances surrender to the enemy. And so when the war ended, he refused to believe the messages announcing that Japan had actually surrendered. For 30 years, he lived in this jungle, evading search parties and killing at least 30 local civilians in the process. After being contacted by a Japanese woman, he told her that he was waiting on an order from a superior officer before he would surrender. His former superior officer flew to the island and commanded him to lay down his weapons and conduct a full and unconditional surrender, which he did. He later wrote a book in which he made this statement. He says, I felt like a fool. What I had been doing all those years on that island, for the first time I really understand, understood that the war was over. This was the end. I pulled back the bolt on my rifle and unloaded the bullets. I eased off the pack that I was always carrying with me and I laid the gun on top of it. The war was finally over. Now we look at that guy and say, what an idiot. You spent 30 years fighting in a war whose outcome was already determined and you missed out on so many years of freedom fighting for control. That guy's no more an idiot than some of you. Because Christ has, has called you to follow him and you continue to fight for control. Hold your position. I'm not surrendering. It doesn't seem safe out there. I'd much rather have control rather than giving Christ control. Really? You feel safer fighting for control than giving Christ control? Here's what the followers of Christ have understood. Our safety, our security, our significance are found in Christ. The cost of following Christ is a bargain. We get all of him and the only thing he gets of us is us. And that's all he's asking for. I'm going to invite you to become a follower of Christ. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, In just a moment, Mike is going to come out. We're going to sing a song. We're going to stand. I'm going to pray for you. And as soon as I say amen, I'm going to invite you to do something that sounds kind of scary, kind of weird. I'm going to invite you to leave your seat if you've never become a follower of Christ. This may be totally new to you. The Bible may be new to you. These descriptions of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who left heaven to come here. He became one of us. He died on that cross in my place as a substitute for my sin and as an act of love and grace by His Spirit, He has spoken to you today. 
He singled you out. He knows your name. He knows your sin. He knows your hang-ups. He knows how you're going to fail tomorrow. And he's still calling you. And some of you have held on to some religious ceremony, some religious tradition, some rule-keeping. You're a good person. Listen, none of that will save you. It's only Christ. And he invites you to follow him this morning. So I'm going to pray for you right now. And when I say amen, I'm going to invite you to come. There'll be pastors and wives and elders and counselors down here. Would you just come to them and say, today I'm, I'm following Christ. I'm going to become a follower of Christ. I'm tired of wrestling. I surrender to following Christ. Jesus, thank you for the invitation to follow you. You don't owe that to us. God, you extend grace to sinners like me and as a 15-year-old to, to have my eyes open to the reality of forgiveness of sin and to see the destructive lifestyle I was living, to give me the grace to turn my back on those things that I was following and to follow you. And today, just like the first day, I surrender. I pray for my friends here today that they would lay down their weapons, they would surrender their battle, their right to control, and they would take a step towards you as the only one who can save. I pray in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed still. I wonder how many of you today would just lift your hand and say, you know what, today's the day. I need to surrender. This is it. This is my moment. I've been battling. I've been wrestling. I've said I've followed him. My life looks nothing like a follower of Christ. But today, I've heard Christ's voice. And today, I am fully and finally surrendering to him. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm the only one looking around. Just raise your hand if today's the day you're surrendering to follow Christ. All right, I want you to stand with me. Mike is going to lead us in this song. If you today are becoming a Christ follower, I want you to leave your seat wherever you're at. Make your way into an aisle. Come to one of these pastors. Let them know today is the day I'm following Christ. You come now. Don't wait. manipulation and trying to coerce you to do anything the Holy Spirit's the only one that can get you to do anything if you've heard his voice this morning don't harden your heart surrender following Christ is hard not following Christ is harder so why don't you surrender to him why don't you come we just give you this other opportunity we're seeing this one more time people around you they will get out of your way if they don't step on their toe and move them and get to christ let's sing
invitation never ends. The pastors and their wives will be here. You can come anytime during, before, after the service. There's two Tylers out there that are pastors. They would be glad to hear you come and say, today I'm following Christ. Any way we can help you in that journey, you can call us, email us, uh, text us, Twitter, smoke signals, anything. We'll be there to help you take your next step toward Christ, okay? Thank you for being in worship today. You were loved. <laughs>